Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out A Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Mm. 
What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Tuesday. It is the 27th of February. Normally, it would be the second to last day of the month, but this is, of course, a leap year. So we will have today, tomorrow, and Thursday. And then it's finally March, and spring will be upon us. And hopefully, hopefully, the weather will start to improve on a regular basis, though it is Ireland, so we can probably expect snow here Guy Drinkle and people who live in his area of the world expect snow all year round. But most of you will get good weather from March onwards. We had one game in the Premier League last night. West Ham United 4, Brentford 2. Jared Bowen put West Ham 1-up on 5 minutes. A nicely worked goal down the left. Good pullback by Emerson Palmieri. Bowen takes a touch and then kind of hides his shot behind the defender, goes near post, Flecken doesn't see it until late. It's a really good strike by Bowen. It's a really good goal. Seven minutes, West Ham are 2-0 up. Again, it is Jared Bowen. Again, it's really well worked. Good ball from Kudus into Sufal. Sufal cuts it back, and Bowen finishes first time, and the Hammers are 2-up and running away with it, we thought. But on 13 minutes, a nicely worked move by Brentford. Set Neil Mopay into the box. And this is a really tidy finish that didn't get enough um, kind of praise last night because it's one of those where he's sliding to hook a foot onto it. But he manages to lift the ball into the roof of the net over the defender's leg and give the goalkeeper less chance to save it. It's a really nice goal. On 63 minutes... West Ham score their third. Great ball in by Mohamed Kudus. Jared Bowen with the simple header from six yards out. 3-1, hat-trick for Bowen. And West Ham were good value for it, in all fairness. They got their fourth on 69 minutes. This is the pick of the goals, purely because it's the most aesthetically pleasing. Ball comes out to Emerson Palmieri, about 23, 24 yards out. One touch. Steadies, steadies himself and then unleashes an absolute missile into the top corner. You could have had two Mark Fleckens in. They weren't saving it. On 82 minutes, Johan Wiese gets a consolation for Brentford to put a bit more respectability on the scoreline. Again, it's a really nicely worked goal. There was a little hint of offside, but Sufal was playing him on and he bends his finish into the far corner. Six goals, all really good goals. A very good game of football, to be fair. A great win for West Ham, who desperately needed it. And that will bounce them back up into eighth in the league. Level on points with Brighton, but with a worse goal difference. But it puts them back above Wolves, back above Newcastle. It means that even if Chelsea win their game in hand, West Ham will still stay above them. And after three straight defeats, including the absolute embarrassment that was their performance at home to Arsenal. That is a very, very good result. That's the first win for West Ham since they beat Arsenal on the 28th of December. So nearly two full months without a win. Beat Arsenal, drew it home at Brighton, drew it Bristol in the Cup, lost to Bristol in the Cup, Drew at Sheffield United, drew at home to Bournemouth, 
lost away to Manchester United, got hammered at home by Arsenal, lost away to Nottingham Forest, and then finally got a win. So their run of eight without a win is over. And now they can move on. They have Everton up next. That's going to be a tough game for both sides. Then they get Freiburg in the Europa League. Uh, They've already beaten them twice this season, so they should be quite confident heading into that. Burnley home in between the two Freiburg games is very favourable, especially given the second Freiburg game is also at home. So you go to Freiburg, a draw will be a great result. Come home, beat Burnley, beat Freiburg and march on Villa, their final game before the international break. For Brentford, though, I mean, it's three defeats in a row, but it's much, much worse than that. Obviously, Everton getting their four points or four of their ten points returned to them bumped Everton up above Brentford. They're level on points, but Brentford have an inferior goal difference. They're in such a poor run of form. Now, to look ahead for a second, up until the international break, they've only got three games because they're not in Europe and they're out of the cup. But they've got Chelsea home, then away to Arsenal, and then away to Burnley, which is a winnable game without question. But when you're in form like they're in form, it really isn't good. You look back at their results It just doesn't make pretty reading. So in their first four games, they took six points. One win, three draws. Draw with Spurs, beat Fulham away, draw with Palace, draw with Bournemouth. Three of those games were at home, and they didn't win any of them. Their only win came on the road. That wasn't a good start. Now, we know that they had injuries. They had the Tony suspension. But still, when you get three of your first four games at home, you want to be winning a couple of them. They went to Newcastle and lost. Then Everton beat them at the community stadium. They went to Forest and got a draw. They went to Manchester United, should have won the game, and threw it away to two late goals. Then they won three in a row. They beat Burnley. They went and beat Chelsea at the bridge. And they beat West Ham at home. Then they lost to Liverpool. Then they lost to Arsenal. They were very unfortunate to lose that Arsenal game. They missed a couple of big chances and Havertz scored scored very, very late. That game was the 25th of November. Since then, they've only won three games in the league. They beat Luton. Then they lost five in a row. They lost to Brighton. Sheffield United, both away, Villa and Wolves, both at home, and Crystal Palace away. Then they beat Nottingham Forest, and there was some fortune in that one as well. Then they went and lost at Spurs. They were a little bit unfortunate in that one. They lost at home to Manchester City. They did go and beat Wolves away. Then Liverpool went to the community stadium and demolished them. Then they lost to City. Then they lost to West Ham. And look, for most of those results, you can sort of explain them away. They're just losing to better teams. You're looking at a run of 15 games with 12 defeats. But you'd look at Liverpool at Anfield, Arsenal at the Community Stadium, 
Brighton at the Amex. Spurs at Spurs, City at the Community Stadium, Liverpool at the Community Stadium and City away. And even West Ham away last night. And you'd say, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. You're losing to better teams. Even Villa at home, losing to a significantly better team. The results that bother me, though, are like Sheffield United beating you 1-0. First of all, Sheffield United keeping a clean sheet against you should be embarrassed. Wolves, who haven't been great away from home this year, going into your place and beating you 4-1. That's concerning. Crystal Palace beating you 3-1 when they were in such a poor run of form and you went 1-0 up. That concerns me. But when I see a team who's lost 12 of their last 15 games, that is really, really poor. That is full-blown relegation form. And they're very lucky that in those first 11 games prior to this run, they picked up four wins and four draws. Because that 16 points is what's keeping them afloat right now. If we look at Brentford since they came up into the division. In the first season they were up, they had a run like this. Now, it rectified itself, thankfully enough for them. They started well. You'll remember that in the first game up, they beat Arsenal. And everybody mocked Arsenal, as is as is our want. They drew away to Palace, drew away to Villa, lost to Brighton, but then went and beat Wolves away, drew at Liverpool at home, went and beat West Ham away. So they took 12 points from the first seven games, then lost four in a row. Then they took four points from two games. Then they took four points from the next three games. But then they went on a run where they lost nine of 11. 12 of 14. Three wins and a draw in there. No, 12 of 15, sorry. 12 of 15. 12 of 16. 12 of 16, David. Learn to count. 12 of 16. Three wins and a draw. So they took 10 points from that many games. But they finished strong. They really did finish strong. They won five and drew one of their last eight, and that kept them up, kept them safe. They're going to maybe have to do something similar this year. They're fortunate enough that we have two teams that really haven't put up a fight at all this season. But when I look at, say, Luton, for example, and I look at their last 15 games, they've won four and drawn two. So just in that span, they've taken five points more than Brentford. And there's only five points between them. Now, Brentford do have a slightly better goal difference, minus 11 to minus 16. But if that was to repeat itself over this last 12 games and Luton were to take five more points than Brentford, Brentford potentially could find themselves slipping out of the division. Now, they've got a tough run coming because they're in poor form. 
like I say, it's it's Chelsea, it's Arsenal, then it's Burnley. Then after the break, they go Manchester United home, Brighton home, Villa away. That's a really tough run. But then they've got the run that can save their season. Sheffield United at home, must win. Luton away, must win. Everton away, you have to get a result there somehow. Draw would be a good result. Fulham home, must win. Bournemouth away, you have to get a result. Then they finish off with Newcastle home, which if it comes down to it, that might be favourable enough. But they've got six home games left. And they've got to find a way to take points there. But more importantly, they've got to find a way to take some points in the road. They've got to go to Burnley and win. They've got to go to Luton and win. You have to win those games or you are going to get dragged backwards. Very, very disappointed with Brentford this season. Went out of the FA Cup in the third round in a replay against Wolves. Went out of the EFL Cup in the third round. Now, it was to Arsenal, so fair enough. But, I mean, in the first, in the second round, they scraped past Newport County, winning only on penalties. That's very disappointing to me. So you do have to ask the question of how have they found themselves in this position? And, you know... We're all very quick to praise Brentford, and rightly so, because they're they're a smaller club. They operate in strict financial constraints. They're putting edge in terms of their data approach. They're one of the leaders in the field there. But when we look at their recruitment, can we really say it's been hugely success, successful since they came up? Frank Onyeka... Summer 2021, Frank Onyeka. I would say he's been a push, not a success, not a hit, a push. Christopher Ayer, I would say the same. Now, with Ayer, it's more because of injuries, because I think when he does play and he gets a run of games, he tends to play well. Johan Lisa, I think you could say hit. Christian Eriksen, I would say hit. That's a pretty strong summer. Uh, Ericsson was January. And they signed um, Zanke, Matthias Jorgensen, in the summer as well, or as, as a free agent after the window had closed. That's a pretty strong summer. But it's not game-changing. We move into 22-23. Aaron Hickey. Hickey has been good, but Hickey has been injured a lot. Only 37 games since joining. 26 last year, 11 this year. Only 35 in the Premier League, 26 last year, 9 this year. He has been good, but he's missed most of this season and missed a third of last season. Keen Lewis Potter. I, I think at the moment you'd have to say that's been a miss. He has played 28 games. It's probably more than it's probably like 35. He's got three goals. That's a miss for 16 million pounds. Uh Thomas Strakosha, 
that's a miss. Ben Mee is a hit. Mikkel Damsgaard, that's a miss. That brings us on to this season. Kevin Shade. Now, he was in on loan. They made it permanent. That's a miss thus far. Now, I still have faith in him and Lewis Potter to come good in time, but that's a miss so far. Mark Flecken. I was unsure of the signing when it happened. He didn't seem to fit their model. He's been okay at best. So you'd put that down as a push. I think Nathan Collins has been really up and down. Really, really up and down. I'd be inclined to say push, but at the moment it's probably bordering more on miss than hit. But he's very young and he will need time. They signed Eunice Emery Konak in January. Too early to say. They signed Hakan Valdemarsson, the um, the young Icelandic keeper. Again, far too early to say. They signed Neil Mope on loan. I think you could say that's been a hit. Sergio Regulon, too early to say. And they signed the young um, Uzbeki player, Ern uh, Bov, on loan. But again, he's on loan in the B team. My concern is that for a club that doesn't spend huge amounts, you've got Nathan Collins, 23 million, Kevin Shade, 22 million, Mark Flecken, 11 million, which is 56 million pounds, along with Lewis Potter, 16, which is 72 million, Mikhail Damsgaard, 17, which is. 89 million. That's on players that as yet have not contributed in positive fashion for them. That's a sizable chunk of their spend since coming up that hasn't hit for them. Now, I don't think there's a bad player among that group. Like, I think Mikhail Damsgaard is a good player. He just hasn't worked out yet for Brentford. And given that this is year two, he may not work out for them. So it's just a little bit of a concern of mine that the recruitment, which was generally excellent in the championship, has not quite adapted to the Premier League. And, you know, when I look at the players who are playing for them this year, and I think of their best 11. Like Mark Flecken's obviously the best goalkeeper they have now. But again, he hasn't really been a success. Aaron Hickey, fair enough. He's been injured this year. He's been signed since coming up. Rico Henry's obviously their best left wing back. He's out injured. But he was a championship player with them. Uh, Ethan Pinnock signed in the lower leagues. Christian Norgard signed in the lower leagues. Matthias Jensen signed in the lower leagues. Josh De Silva signed in the lower lower leagues. Samon Goddess originally signed in the lower leagues. Ivan Tony signed in the lower leagues. Brian Bomo signed in the lower leagues. 
Vitaly Janot signed in the lower leagues and Mads Rorslev signed in the lower leagues. The majority of the players that they're still relying on in year three in the Premier League are players that were with them in the championship. And that, to me, is a little bit of a concern. Because a couple of them, not many, admittedly, not many of them, I would say one or two, they have just been exposed a little bit at this level, that they're not quite Premier League caliber players. And the issue, when you're a team like Brentford, that play the way Brentford do, you sort of can't have a weak point in your team. And Premier League teams are smart and they're ruthless. And when you have a weak point or you have multiple weak points, which can often happen with them if they have some injuries, Premier League teams will pick and pick and pick at that that weakness and they will expose it. I want to see Brentford stay in the league. I want to see them succeed. They're a club I admire greatly. I love how Matthew Benham has gone about rebuilding that club. I think Thomas Frank is an excellent manager. I love the I love the buy-in he gets from his players. I love that they built this smaller, very, very high-tech stadium. I love that they self-funded it did all the right things around it. I love what they represent as a football club. I want them in the division. Them and Brighton are important for the Premier League because they are proof that you can do things the right way. You don't need to do what Nottingham Forest did when they came up, what Wolves did when they first came up, uh, what Villa did when they came up, what we've seen Leeds do, what we've seen Burnley do. You don't need to come up and spend massive amounts of money on reams of players. You can come up and do it smartly. You can do it sustainably. So I want them in the division, but they're going to have to get their act together between now and the end of the season. We have... Sorry, we had one game in the FA Cup last night. Coventry City 5, Maidstone 0. The first half was the Casey Palmer Ellis Sims show. First goal, uh, Palmer slips it into Sims. Good first touch. Excellent second touch. Puts it past the goalkeeper. And they are one up. Second goal, Palmer slips it into Sims. This time on his left foot. Lovely sweeping finish. 2-0. Third goal. Casey Palmer shot from distance. Keeper parries it out. Sims there to tap in. In the second half, it was the Matt Godden and Tavares show. Godden feeds Tavares. He makes it four. Fifth goal. Godden slipped in. His shot parried by the goalkeeper. And Tavares makes it five. Really impressive performance from Coventry. Now, admittedly, they were heavy, heavy favourites to win the game. Maidstone, as we know, you know they're a non-league team. But Coventry were ruthless and they had their business done by half-time. They had their business done 35 minutes into the game. The Tavares goals came in the 88 and 92nd minute. 
they were just able to manage their way through that second half. And that's exactly what you want when you're a bigger club playing a club like Maidstone, non-league club who've, to be fair, put together a wonderful FA Cup run. They should be incredibly proud of themselves for the run that they've put together here. And their manager, George Elokobi, former professional player who played for Wolves and Nottingham Forest and Bristol, a bunch among a bunch of others, uh, he should be very proud of his players and proud of himself for this run that he's put together in the FA Cup. So best of luck to them for the remainder of the season. But Coventry will now advance to the sixth round. We have three games tonight in the FA Cup, all, I think, pretty interesting. So the first one is Luton Town away to Manchester, sorry, at home, at home to Manchester City. City obviously looking to defend the cup that they won last year as part of their treble. Luton got here by drawing the first game at home to Bolton and then winning the replay 2-1 away at Heath Chong and Chidozi Ogbena with the goals for them in that one after they'd gone 1-0 down to a Dion Charles goal. Then they went to Everton and got a really impressive win. Uh, Michael Enko own goal put them one up. Jack Harrison equalised, but they pushed for their winner. They got their winner. Coley Woodrow, who sounds like he's a Hamlet in a Harry Potter film, uh, he got the winner in the 96th minute and gave them this date with Manchester City. City, for their part, to get here, beat Huddersfield 5-0 in the third round, two from Phil Foden, one from Julian Alvarez, a Ben Jackson own goal, and Jeremy Doku wrapped it up. Then they went to Spurs, and to be fair, completely outplayed Spurs. Nathan Aki scored in the 89th minute, but City were very good value for that win. So that's how both of these teams arrived at this point. That should be a decent game. We obviously saw, earlier in the season, we saw Luton play Man City, and Luton gave them every single bit that they could cope with. Luton made it very, very difficult for them. And City, that was one of the first times we looked at City and thought, oh, maybe there's maybe there's cracks showing. Now, they were coming into that game off the back of four games without a win, but it had been Chelsea away, Liverpool home, City home, and Villa away. So you weren't ultimately all that surprised that they didn't win any of those because those are all tough games. They had lost early in the season at Arsenal to Martinelli's fluke goal that took a big deflection and at Wolves at a time when Wolves were causing a lot of teams problems at Molyneux. But they went to Luton, they went 1-0 down to an Adebayo goal and for the first hour they genuinely looked lost. They had no idea how to deal with what Luton were doing. But then, because they're Manchester City, they snapped into life and within three minutes scored two goals through Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish and ultimately won the game. Uh, these sides will play again in the league on the 13th of April, but they've got this FA Cup game to get through first. Um, Bournemouth, home to Leicester City. Obviously, Bournemouth are 14th in the Premier League at the moment. To get to this point of the FA Cup, they went to QPR, they went 2-0 down, 
uh, Sinclair Armstrong and Lyndon Dykes scoring the goals. In the second half, they came out fired up. Marcus Tavernier got them one back. Kiefer Moore got the equaliser. And then Justin Clivert scored the winner. And on they went and they got Swansea City and they absolutely demolished them. Lloyd Kelly, Alex Scott, Luis Sinistera, David Brooks and Dom Solanke had them 5-0 up at halftime and they just coasted through the second half. So they will come into this game, I think, as quite confident favourites. But Leicester are having a really good season. Leicester are top of the championship. Comfortably clear, six points. But they're in a bit of a rut at the moment. They lost both of their last two league games. They lost at home to Middlesbrough. And then at the weekend, they went and lost 3-1 away to Leeds. 3-1 away, having been 1-0 up going into the 80th minute. To get to this point of the FA Cup, they went away to Millwall. They went one up through Caicedo, who's no longer with them. He's gone back to Chelsea. Then Ricardo Pereira put them two up. Duncan Watmore scored to make it 2-1, but Tom Cannon made it 3-1 and made it safe. So even the Zion Fleming late goal didn't make much difference. In the second round, they drew Birmingham City at home and they won 3-0. Jamie Vardy, Eunice Aggun and Dennis Pryat with the goals in that one. So this is the first time they'll face Premier League opposition in the FA Cup. They faced one Premier League team this season. That was Liverpool back in the third round of the League Cup. And having gone 1-0 up at Anfield, they ended up losing 3-1. And Liverpool obviously went on to win the League Cup. So tough test for, for Bournemouth. But they're a Premier League team at home to a championship team. They should be confident of advancing in this competition. Uh, final game then. Well, it's actually not the final game. The first game is Bournemouth-Leicester. That's a 7.30 kickoff. Luton versus Manchester City is an 8 p.m. kickoff. This third one here is a 7.45 kickoff. It is, for the nostalgia merchants out there, it's a beautiful memory of mid-90s Premier League action. It is Blackburn Rovers at home to Newcastle, the Alan Shearer derby. Newcastle obviously having an up-and-down season, I think is fair to say. Uh, At the moment, they sit 10th in the Premier League. They were beaten heavily by Arsenal at the weekend. They have bounced back from the run of six defeats in seven, but they still don't look quite themselves. To get to this point in the FA Cup, they played their local rival Sunderland and beat them 3-0 at Dan Ballard own goal, followed by two by Alexander Isak. Then they went to Fulham and got a good 2-0 win with Sean Longstaff and Dan Burns scoring the goals. But a third straight away draw to one of the more interesting teams in the championship in Blackburn. Now, Blackburn are not having a good season. Uh, They currently sit 16th in the championship, which will be very, very disappointing because they had real ambition, I think, of getting out of the championship this year. They're 16 points off Hull, who are in the last playoff spot, and only four points clear of the relegation zone. So we can rule out Blackburn as potential Premier League um, 
foes for the rest of the division next season. They're not in a particularly good place. They have won twice since late November in the championship. Uh, They lost six of seven with a win over Bristol sandwich in between. Then they drew one, lost one, drew one, lost one. They won one, beating Stoke, and then they haven't won any of their last four. But they have drawn the last three, which is an improvement. Uh, They introduced John Eustace as their new manager on the 9th of February because it had just gotten so bad with John Dahl Thomason. Again, it was one win in 11 games. Nine, eight, count, David, count. Seven, 11, yes. Yeah, eight defeats, yeah. Excuse me, eight defeats in that 11-game run. Uh, Eustace took over. He's only lost once. He lost away to Birmingham, one win and three draws in the other games. But they have had this cup run. Now, this will be Eustace's first game in the Cup, and to be fair, they were given favourable draws. They beat Cambridge 5-2 at home. Uh, Sammy Smoddix with a hat-trick. Arnor Sigurdsson and Harry Leonard with the other goals. Then they beat Wrexham 4-1. They went 1-0 behind, but Smoddix got two, Gallagher got one, and Tronsat got the fourth. And so they get Newcastle. Now, Newcastle should win this game. Blackburn are not particularly good this year. And there are some talented players in the squad. I very much like Harry Pickering, the left-back. I quite like Scott Wharton, the centre-back. I really like Sammy Smodix, who's having an unbelievable season. We'll come back to him. And I quite like what what I've seen um, of a couple of the younger players in the squad. Rory Finneran is a young Irish lad. Uh, quite impressed with him. Yasini Yari is in on loan for them um, from Brighton. He spent the first half of the season on loan at Coventry and just didn't seem to settle in and didn't seem to suit how they were playing. Uh, I quite like the look of Harry Leonard, who's the, a young forward, 20 years of age. He's been playing semi-regularly. Really like the look of Andrew Moran, who, again, is on loan from Brighton, another young Irish lad. And then Zach Gilsonen, who is Australian-born to Irish parents, but plays for Ireland uh, at underage level. Really, really like the look of him. So there is talent. There is promise. Obviously, the star turn that was there was Adam Wharton, and he has moved on. He's gone to Crystal Palace for a significant fee in the January window. But losing him was a big blow, without question. Um, Sammy Smoddix is the the danger man. He is a very, very talented footballer. Born in England to Hungarian parents. He, well, sorry, I think it's a Hungarian parent and an Irish parent. Yeah, he's got Hungarian on one side and uh, Irish on the other. It's actually his grandparents. His grandparents. His his grandmother is from Ireland and one of his grandfathers is from Hungary. That's how he has the selections. Um, His parents were actually born in England. 
but he has chosen to play for Ireland. And unfortunately, Ireland have been really stupid and not capped him yet. And they risk losing out on him. He's always been a player that's popped up every now and then and been linked to other clubs. He came through Colchester. He scored 38 goals in 163 games. Not bad for midfield, but in his last two seasons there, he scored 28 in 89, which is really, really good. Then he moved on to Peterborough. He scored 16 goals in 46 games in his first season there, which was also his first season, first full season playing in League One, having been in League Two with Colchester. Stepped up to the championship, got nine in 36, moved on to Blackburn. Last season, he scored seven and 41. This season, he has 22 and 31. He is playing a bit more advanced and a bit more centrally, but he is a very, very good player, but he's 28 now. I'm just hoping that Ireland will cap him in the next international break and give him his opportunity because I think we've missed out on two to three years where he should have been in the squad. It would be huge for John Eustace if Blackburn could get the win, but Newcastle should win that one. Right, folks, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, well, it's all a surprise, isn't it? See you after this. Right, welcome back. So we will take a trip down the leagues in the championship at the weekend. Coventry nil, Preston three. Bit of a surprise that Coventry were so heavily beaten at home. Leeds 3, Leicester 1, massive result for Leeds, especially with Leicester being so far out in front going into that weekend. Hull City 1, West Brom 1, that's a fairly expected draw. They're both in the playoff hunt. Blackburn 1, Norwich 1, Ipswich 3, Birmingham 1, Ipswich's bounce back continues. QPR 2, Rotherham 1, Cardiff 2, Stoke 1. Southampton won Millwall 2. Saints at home against the relegation threat in Millwall and losing. That's disappointing. Sheffield Wednesday 2. Bristol City 1. Big win for Sheffield Wednesday as they battle to stay in the division. Sunderland 1. Swansea 2. Bad result for Sunderland who are hoping to maintain a playoff push or get back to a playoff push. It's looking less and less likely. The Michael Beale era did them no favours in that regard. Watford won, Huddersfield 2. Big win for Huddersfield away from home with them trying to stay in the division. And then Middlesbrough nil, Plymouth 2. Middlesbrough have had such a disappointing season. Um, Leicester atop, 78 points. Then it's Leeds and Ipswich, both on 72. Leeds have the better goal difference. Old Bar, Middlesbrough and Birmingham have played 34 games, just to get that out of the way. Uh, It's a five-point gap from Ipswich to Southampton. Then Southampton are 11 points clear of West Brom, who are one point clear of Hull, and that makes up the top six. So right now, you would say Leicester going up, one of Leeds or Ipswich going up automatically, and the other joining Southampton in the top seeds for the playoffs. West Brom, Hull, four-point gap, sorry, three-point gap to Norwich and Preston, one-point gap to Coventry. 
Now, I would say that's probably the group who will fill the last two playoff spots. There's only five points separating that group. But Sunderland are four points behind Coventry. And just given the nature of this division, it wouldn't be a complete surprise if a new manager comes in and all of a sudden they put together four or five wins in a row and climb back into the mix. But for now, it seems a little bit unlikely. Uh, three points behind Sunderland are Watford. They're level in points of Bristol City, Middlesbrough and Cardiff. Four-point gap to Plymouth. Then it is Blackburn, Swansea, Birmingham, Huddersfield, Millwall, QPR, Stoke, Sheffield Wednesday, and Rotherham are as good as gone. 19 points. They're 12 points below Sheffield Wednesday and 17 points from safety given their horrendous goal difference. Right now, it is any two from Sheffield Wednesday, Stoke, QPR, Millwall, Huddersfield, Birmingham, Swansea, and and Blackburn. I actually think all those teams are still at risk of going down because there's only seven points between Blackburn and 16th and Sheffield Wednesday and 23rd. There are only four points between Blackburn and 16 in 16th and Stoke in 22nd. So this division is very, very, very interesting for the remainder of the season. It's going to be super competitive, which is great to see. You've only really got, let's say Sunderland are out of the playoff mix. Sunderland, Watford, Bristol, Middlesbrough and Cardiff who don't really have anything to play for. Plymouth are a point ahead of Blackburn, but I think Plymouth will be fine. Even though they're only a point ahead, they just, they've got a much better goal difference than all the teams below them. And they just put more confidence into me that they're going to be okay. All the rest of them, I could see going and losing four or five in a row. That's just the nature of them. But it's a really exciting division. Maybe the most exciting division top to bottom in Europe. Uh, in League One at the weekend, we had Wigan 1, Cheltenham 1, Cambridge 0, Peterborough 1, Reading 2, Shrewsbury 3, Bristol Rovers 2, Carlisle 1, Stevenage 1, Wickham 0, uh, Burton 0, Northampton 2, Oxford 1, Leighton Orient 2, Blackpool 4, Bolton 1, Exeter 1, Fleetwood 1, Port Vale 0, Lincoln City 2, Charlton 0, Portsmouth 0, Barnsley 2, Derby County 1. Uh, the table has Pompey top 7 points clear of Derby, but Derby do have a game in hand. Derby are level on points of Bolton. Both sides lost this weekend. Bolton have a game in hand on Derby. Then it is a three-point gap to Barnsley, then a four-point gap to Peterborough, and then Oxford currently hold the last playoff spot. But Stevenage, Blackpool, and Leighton Orient, I think, could all potentially jump in and nab that spot if they hit a run of form. Lincoln are then 10th, then Northampton, Bristol Rovers, Wigan, Exeter, Wickham, Cambridge, Burton, Shrewsbury, Reading, Charlton, Cheltenham, Port Vale, Fleetwood, and Carlisle. So right now, 
it is Cheltenham, Port Vale, Fleetwood and Carlisle in the four relegation spots, which I think means everybody from Wickham in 15th really needs to be nervous. They're only five points clear of Cheltenham who hold the 21st and last relegation spot. So you've got a bunch of teams there with work to do. We've got a full round of games this week. Well, it's kind of multiple rounds of games because it's a makeup week. So Derby play Charlton, Port Vale play Fleetwood, and Wickham play Cheltenham. Those are match day 13 games being made up. Stevenage play Cambridge. That's match day 25 being made up. Lincoln play Shrewsbury. Wigan play Bolton. Leighton Orient play Blackpool. Those are match day 27 games. And then Burton play Carlisle. That's a match day 33 game. They're all tonight. So you've got eight League One matches if you want to watch those. If none of the FA Cup games tickle your fancy. Into League Two. At the weekend, Morecambe 1, Grimsby 1, Harrogate 0, Walsall 2. Gillingham 1, Wrexham 0, Stockport 0, Swindon 0, Forest Green 1, Tranmere 0, Accrington Stanley 0, Crawley Town 1, MK Dons 3, Newport County 0, Mansfield 5, Gary Neville, Salford City 1, Notts County 1, Crew Alexandra 3, Sutton 1, Colchester 1, Doncaster 1, AFC Wimbledon 0, Barrow versus Bradford was postponed. Mansfield are top, level on points with Stockport. The Stockport, who were looking very, very comfortable, have now not won in their last four. Mansfield actually have a game in hand there as well. It's a two-point gap then to Crewe, and they're the three teams looking for automatic promotion. Then it's only a two-point gap, though, to Wrexham, who've dropped out of the top three, but they do have a game in hand on both Stockport and Crew. Then MK Dons, Barrow and Gillingham fill the playoff spots. But this playoff battle is going to be exceptional because Gillingham are on 51 points. They're seventh. Crawley are eighth on 49 with a game in hand. Walsall are ninth on 48 with a game in hand. Morecambe are 10th on 48 with a game in hand. Harrogate are 11th on 48 with a game in hand. AFC Wimbledon are on 47 points in 12th. Notts County, 47 points in 13th with a game in hand. Accrington Stanley, 14th, 46 with a game in hand. Bradford, 15th, 46 points with the game in hand and having won three in a row. And Newport County are sitting 16th on 46 with the game in hand. So potentially, potentially we have 10 teams there who could make a run at the six and seven spots because Barrow were only two points ahead of Gillingham and have lost three in a row. So 11 teams, including Barrow, potentially for two spots. That's fantastic. Then it's a six-point gap from Newport to Tranmere in 17th. Uh, Swindon are 18th level on points, but worse goal difference. Salford sit in 
19th. Doncaster at 20th. Colchester at 21st. Grimsby are 22nd. And now starting to nervously look over their shoulder because they've taken one point from the last three games. Whereas Forest Green have taken six points from their last three games. And what was, excuse me, what was quite a comfortable gap is now closing very, very quickly from nine points down to four. Sutton United currently bottom. There is two to go down. As it stands, it will be Forest Green and Sutton. But Forest Green might be finding a bit of form. They might have finally shaken off the stink of Big Dunk in charge, though I can't imagine that they're all that happy about the Troy Deeney uh, nonsense that took place at their club this year. Uh, Just on the topic of Big Dunk, yet another draw at the weekend for Inverness, Caledonian Thistle. Uh, 1-1 away to Arbroath. They needed a last gasp stoppage time equaliser in that one. And as things stand, they they have slipped to ninth of 10 teams in the Scottish Championship, which doesn't seem ideal. Doesn't seem ideal at all. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that would put them into the relegation playoff. Our broth who they drew with are the only team below them. And now Inverness are at risk of going into the relegation playoffs. Now, with that said, one win would launch them up to fifth because it's very, very bunched. You've got five teams within three points and in Inverness, Caledonian Thistle have the best goal difference. However, Dunfermline have one game in hand and Airdrionians have two games in hand. So Big Dunk potentially, potentially in a spot of bother. Who currently would come up play that game. So Falkirk are running away with the division. They'll be automatically promoted. There are three teams then potentially in the championship playoffs. My guess is that Hamilton Academical will get the bye to the final and Aloha and Montrose would play to then face them. I think that's how it works. I think that's how it works. Hamilton Academic will look like the team, just based on the league table, uh, most likely. So can they be the team to relegate Big Dunk, even though he has done significantly better with Inverness than he did during that dreadful spell with Forest Green? Um, National League is where we'll go next. At... Did I list the games? No, there's games tonight in League 2. Hang on. Back we go. Uh, League 2, we have five games. Six games tonight. Six games tonight. Forest Green against Wrexham. That's a makeup of match week 21. Notts County against Sutton. That's a makeup of match week 27. 
Salford City versus Colchester, Walsall versus Aki Stanley, Swindon versus Tranmere, and Harrogate versus Newport. Uh, they're all make-up games. They're all taking place tonight. And like the League One games, they're all on at 7.45. National League at the weekend, Eastley 2, Bromley 0, Borehamwood 4, Field 0, Field, Field, Gateshead 4, Oxford City 0, Solihull Moors 2, Hartlepool 1, Woking 1, Wheelstone 1, Barnet 2, York City 0, Chesterfield 2, Rochdale 2, Altrincham 1, Maidenhead United 3, Southend 4, Aldershot 1, Dorking 1, Ebbsfleet 4, Dagenham and Redbridge 0, Halifax 1, Oldham 1, Kidderminster Harriers 2. So Chesterfield are top 20 points clear, uh, very much going up. Then it's Barnet and Bromley on 62 points. Solihull Moors and Gateshead uh, 57 and 56. They're in the playoff spots. But Aldershot 54, Oldham 53, Halifax 53, and Altrincham 52 all in the mix. Altrincham have lost three in a row. Halifax have won four in a row. I love these lower divisions. They're just mental. Teams go on mad runs, both good and bad, and it hugely, hugely changes the table. Um, Harleypool on 47, Eastley 45, Borehamwood 43, Rochdale 42, Dagenham 42, Maidenhead 42, Southend and Ebbsfleet 41, Wheelstone Field filed, uh, York City 39, Dorking 38, Kidderminster 36, Woking 35, and Oxford City looking very lonely at the bottom on 28. There are midweek games. Again, there are six of them. Uh, Woking versus Gateshead, Southend versus Altrincham, Rochdale versus Wheelstone, Barnet versus Chesterfield, Eastley versus Oldham, and Solihull versus Kidderminster. Again, all 7.45 make-up games that were missed earlier in the season for a variety of reasons, be it cup runs, be it waterlogged pitches, whatever the case may be. Uh, We'll go to break, and when we come back, we'll just have the gossip. So I'll see you after this. Right, welcome back. So uh, at the moment, England's women's national team are playing Italy, and they have just scored two minutes into the game to go 1-0 up. Uh, Christopher Olsen, Swedish midfielder, has been placed on a ventilator in hospital after losing consciousness at home. Mittlian, who he plays for now, said the former Arsenal player is suffering from what appears to be an acute brain-related illness. They announced he'd been taken to hospital on the 20th of February and said that they felt compelled to release an update due to increasing rumours and speculation over his recent absence. Everyone at FC Mittelland is, of course, deeply affected by Christopher's sudden illness. He's suffering from what appears to be an acute brain-related illness, which is neither due to self-inflicted harm or any kind of any kind of any kind, nor due to external factors. A team of leading Danish medical experts are working under pressure to make a diagnosis and, a, and initiate the correct treatment. He came through Arsenal's academy and made one appearance before joining Midtland 
midway through the 14-15 season. Wow. 47 caps for Sweden. After joining Mittelland, he went to AIK in Sweden, Krosnodar in Russia and Anderlecht in Belgium before going back to Mittelland. Um, very public support of him from Arsenal and the Swedish FA. And you'd have to hope that he'll make a full recovery. That is very, very scary. Uh, Eric Ten Hag has hit back at Jamie Carragher's subjective criticism of his tactics in the 2-1 defeat against Fulham. Um, I mean, the football that United play is largely unwatchable dross. And tactically, they're one of the worst teams in the league. So any and all criticism is warranted. Um, he's attempted to to fight back against this and, you know, push forward the young players that he's signed um, Omari for, uh, sorry, that, that, he's, that he's given debuts to, like Omari Forson and Kobe Manu and, and Garnacho, uh, while also trying to big up Anthony. And he said, and I quote, on Anthony, I backed him for a long time. I know his abilities. I know from the past he is unstoppable. He is one of the quickest in the first 10 yards. He is resilient. He's a character. He will fight back, and I back him. Now, like, there's obviously the elephant in the room with Anthony, which is the allegations that have been made against him and the charges that he is potentially facing, right? But that's not football-related. Let's look at him just as a footballer. So he's 24 now. He was at Ajax for two years, 11 goals in 46 games, 12 goals in 33 games. So from a goal-scoring point of view, at no point in his uh, career under Ten Hag has he ever been unstoppable. He scored 6 in 45 in his one season playing for Sao Paulo. He scored 8 in 44 last season for United and has scored 1 in 26 this season for United with no goals in 20 Premier League appearances. Now, at the weekend, uh, Omari Forson started ahead of him and Ahmed Diallo was brought on instead of him. So that, in my opinion, points to the manager not completely backing him. So you're looking at a player that in 1,350 minutes this season has one goal and one assist, and those came in the FA Cup. Nothing in the Champions League in four appearances, nothing in the Premier League in 20 appearances. Last season, uh, for Manchester United, he had eight goals and three assists um, in 44 games. Eight goals and three assists. In three appearances for Ajax, he had two goals and two appearances, which was pointing him in the right direction. The season before at Ajax, uh, 12 goals and 10 assists. It's not exactly lighting up the Eredivisie, which, as we know, is of a very poor standard. Uh, the season before, 10 goals, 10 assists. Again, not great. Not, not bad, but not great. Not unstoppable. At no point 
has he been unstoppable? But the thing that really caught my eye was the statement, he's one of the quickest in the first 10 yards, because he really isn't. He's very slow-footed for a winger. Now, he's quicker than players in a lot of other positions, but for a winger, he's, he's very slow-footed. And he has no burst. There's no acceleration with him. He needs to be moving over a longer distance to build up speed. Harvey Elliott is quicker from a standing start than him, and Harvey's biggest weakness is that lack of explosive pace. So, I mean, United paid £82 million to sign Anthony. And he is, thus far, a significant flop. In fact, United's four biggest signings have all been flops. Pogba, Anthony, Harry Maguire, and Romelu Lukaku. Most expensive Manchester United signings. Pogba. Flop. No question. No question at all. Anthony. Flop. Maguire. Flop. Oh, Sancho. Flop. Lukaku. Flop. Hoyvland. Early signs weren't good. Recent signs are very promising. Uh, Di Maria. Flop. Casemiro. Good last season. Dreadful this season. Bruno Fernandes has been a success, though he's not having a particularly good season. And Mason Mount rounds out the top 10. And his season to date has been nothing short of a disaster. He has not played well when he has played, but he's also been injured quite a bit. So you give him a pass. You wouldn't call him a flop, but you certainly wouldn't call him anything resembling uh, a success this season. How many minutes has Mason Mount played this year? He hasn't been helped by the fact that he's been played at a position. And United's two best players are Rashford and Bruno, who play in the two positions Mount would be most suited to. Uh, he's played 1,250-ish minutes. 24 appearances in total. One assist. Is that right? Let me just double check. That can't be right. That doesn't seem right to me. That doesn't seem right to me. I don't think he's played that much, has he? No, he's played 12 games. He's played 12 games this season. Um, oh, no, he's played 14. He's played 14 games. Sorry, sorry, 14 games. And he has one assist and one yellow card. No goals, no assists in the Premier League. No goals, no assists in the Champions League. One assist in the EFL Cup. Uh, so his minutes will be much lower than that 1,200 as well. So not great. Not great at all. Um, Manchester United can't spend money well. Uh, just a fact. Not my opinion. Just a fact. Brendan Rogers says he didn't mean to offend a journalist when he called her a good girl. He said it in a very condescending way. Now, he said he has since apologized and had a laugh with uh, Jane Lewis, who asked him a question 
that he didn't seem to like. Of course, Brendan is a terrible set of lads. And there's no question that he said it from a misogynist point of view, because that's who he is as an individual. And he said it to condescend and belittle her. And I saw a bunch of the usual suspects of, of, you know, dickheads who wear flags as capes and they have the expected flags in their bios on Twitter uh, come out and, you know, try and defend Brendan Rogers. And the most nonsensical one was, oh, but Brendan calls everybody good man. This is no difference. Good girl is not the female equivalent of good man. That would be good woman. Do you think he would have called a male journalist a good boy? Because that would be the equivalent. And for me, and I would say I'm probably roughly the same age as a lot of the journalists who cover Celtic, if someone called me a good man, a good boy, I chin them. So I'd imagine many of the journalists who cover Celtic would chin Brendan if he dared call them a good boy. That's what he was doing. Now, she has been very graceful about this and not made a fuss of it. But this isn't some 20, 21-year-old. This is an experienced reporter, is Jane Lewis, who's been around in the industry for a long time. She's 53 years of age. In no way is, could she be, could you even pass it off as anything other than Brendan being, well, being Brendan, to be totally honest. Uh, on to the gossip. Real Madrid have come to an agreement to sign Alfonso Davies and will look to complete the deal either this summer or in 2025 when he becomes a free agent. Real are building a super team and everybody should be very, very scared. Chelsea manager Maurizio Pochettino's future is uncertain after his side's Carabao Cup game with Ruben Amorim a potential replacement. I don't think Ruben Amorim would take that job because that club is a dumpster fire uh, and Todd Bowley is a buffoon. Manchester United are expected to offload several players this summer with Brazilian winger Anthony among those they would be prepared to sell. I saw one report suggest that they would take half of the 41 million. I would love to see the club that would pay 41 million for him. Bad enough you paid 82. Nobody is giving you 41 million for him. That's a loan with an option to buy for like 25 including add-ons. That's what you're getting there. Chelsea hope to sell Trevor Chalaba and Armando Brogia with the futures of Conor Gallagher and Mark Kukurea also in, in doubt. Mark Kukurea, there's no real point in selling him because it wouldn't help their FFP situation. They need to sell homegrown players, which is one of the reasons certain higher-ups are trying to push Gallagher out the door. Um, Bayern Munich, Liverpool and Arsenal are in a race to sign Joe Polina in the summer. If Ruben Amorim arrives at Liverpool, I think Joe Polina becomes potentially a target, but otherwise I, I just don't see it at this point. Uh, Manchester City midfielder KDB would prefer a move to MLS over the Saudi Pro League. The Belgian international turns 30, 33 this summer 
and his contract will enter its final year. So potentially he is going into his last season, City, um, come the summer. Zinedine Zidane is open to coaching in Italy with the French great linked with a return to Juventus. I think he would be open to coaching Juventus. I'm not sure he'd be open to coaching in Italy in general. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale is keen to leave Arsenal in the summer after losing his place to David Rea. I've seen Arsenal fans claim they're going to get 50 million for him. From who? Like, from who? Let's look at the clubs that could potentially pay uh, 50 million for Aaron Ramsdale. So Liverpool don't need him, have a significantly better goalkeeper. City don't need him. Spurs don't need him, have a significantly better goalkeeper. United could pay it, but they just spent 50 million on a goalkeeper last year. So Chelsea? I mean, I just, I don't see it. Newcastle have a better goalkeeper, so they're not doing it. There's no one else in the Premier League. There's nobody in Italy that's paying 50 million for Aaron Ramsdale. There's only one club in the Bundesliga who could, that's Bayern, and I just don't see them doing it. Uh, I think, you know, if they decide to replace Manuel Nara, they will look for a, a younger goalkeeper. And then in Spain, you'd have the, the big two, Real and Barca, plus Atleti could stretch to it. All three have much better goalkeepers in Thibaut Courtois, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen and Jan Oblak. And then there's PSG who have Donnarumma, who's much better. So I, I don't know where they're going to get this big fee for Aaron Ramsdale from. The clubs who will be looking for a goalkeeper in the Premier League this summer, Wolves, maybe. Bournemouth, maybe. Everton, if Pickford moves, but again, I, I don't see him moving. I, I don't see who else is looking for a goalkeeper this summer. And Wolves and Bournemouth are not paying big money. Not for Aaron Ramsdale. Not for anybody, but not for Aaron Ramsdale. So I just don't see where they're going to get this huge fee that they think they'll get for him. Tottenham are leading the chase to sign in-demand Jaden Philogen from Hull City, although Villa have a buyback clause for the 21-year-old. Him, Cameron Archer, and Aaron Ramsey, Villa made the decision to sell them all. Smartly included buybacks on them, and I think they may well end up buying back all of them in time. It's a shame for them and for him they didn't include one in the Carney chuck Wemeka deal because uh, he'd be much better off back at Villa than he is at Chelsea. England Youth International Omari Forson, who played for United the weekend, could leave United this summer because his contract is up. How have they allowed that to happen? He does look a player. Celtic are eyeing a move for Cueving Kelleher as they search for new number one for next season. Joe Hart is obviously retiring. Celtic cannot afford Cueving Kelleher, is my guess. Nice and France centre-back Jean-Claire Tadebo is interested in moving back to Barcelona despite interest from Manchester United. If Barca could run out a back four of Jules Koundé at right back, 
Tadebo and Arejo at centre back and Balde at le- and Alejandro Balde at left back, that would be phenomenal. Phenomenal. And potentially could develop into the best back four in the world because there's not one of them over 24. Tadebo's 24. I think Kunde's 23 or 24. Balde's like 20, 21. Arejo's 24. That could be sensational. Can they do it? Who knows? They they don't have much money. I would I said before I would sell Frankie de Jong if I was them and look to reinvest that money. Go and get him. Buy Lamine Kamara. Then you've got Gavi, Kamara, and Pedri as your midfield three. You've got Lamine Yamal, right wing, stick Rafinha left wing. Lewandowski through the middle. You've got your young striker for the future there as well. You've got Tushtegan in goal. I mean, that's that's a hell of a team. Now, it's not ideal to be playing Alamine Yamal or Gavi or Pedri as much as they do or Alejandro Balde. So you've got to add out depth there as well. But there's a path to Barca being really good. The problem for them is, like I said earlier, Real are building a super team. Uh, We'll leave it there, folks. I'll see you all tomorrow. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.